In our first reading, Abraham is asked to give everything to God. He and his wife have been barren, they have not had any children, and then finally Isaac comes along as the great gift from God. The gift from a promise that had been made by three visitors that had come and said, at this time next year, your wife will have a child. Sarai, who was, whose name was turned to Sarah, had laughed, believing it impossible. And now Abraham is asked to take this son. Take your son Isaac, your only one, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. There you shall offer him up as a holocaust. A holocaust was an, an offering that was completely consumed, completely given over to God. And Abraham doesn't hesitate. God who has given him this son, he knows has claim over him, and he goes, but with a heavy heart. We didn't hear in this portion of scripture this morning or this afternoon, but nevertheless, it points up part of the story. As they're going along, Isaac turns to Abraham, to his father. He says, Father, here's the wood. Here's the fire. But where is the lamb of sacrifice? And you can almost feel the heaviness in Abraham's voice as he would have to respond to his son, and he does. And all he can say is, my son, God himself will provide the lamb. Anyone who's ever experienced the loss of a child, how out of the ordinary, out of the natural course of things that is, can associate with these feelings of Abraham, this heaviness that he has. When he arrives there, God sends his angel to grasp his hand or stay his hand. And he says, now I know that you fear God and that you are willing to obey him in everything. The prayer friends. And then at that moment, he sees a ram caught by his horns in a bush. And he realizes that that is what God is giving him to offer instead. And yet that ram is only a symbol. And Abraham and this action is a symbol of another father who thousands of years after, on the same mountain range, the mountain range of Moriah, where Jerusalem was, will allow and will offer up his son for our sake, the true Lamb, Jesus Christ. Today's Gospel reading, we hear that phrase as well. This is my beloved son. And then listen to him. The beloved son of the eternal father is not spared, even though Abraham's Isaac was. Jesus leads James, John, and Peter up this mountain, and 
we heard Mark's version this morning, or this afternoon, but Luke um, gives us the reason for it. Jesus leads them up the mountain to pray. And so it's within this communing with the Father, this prayer event, that the transfiguration takes place. And his union with the Father, which was always there, spills over into his humanity or becomes visible. His face, his garments, shine with an unearthly light. It's said in the Old Testament that when Moses went to meet God and he would come from those meetings with God, his face would radiate. But that was a radiation that was from without. Jesus comes from his very, the very depths of his being. The apostles are in a, a certain kind of trance almost. They're heavy with sleep. They're terrified and yet overjoyed. Peter, in this combination of feelings, cries out, Lord, it's good that we're here. Let me build these tents. He wants to, in a certain sense, extend the moment. God has come to dwell among his people. A cloud over covers them or casts a shadow on them. Again, the cloud was a sign of God's presence. In the Old Testament, it was the cloud that led the people by day and on their sojourn or their journey out of Egypt and into eventually the promised land. It was a cloud that came down over the tent of meeting where Moses would meet God. It was a cloud that came down on the mountain when Moses also went up to meet God. So the cloud was for the Israelites a rich sign of God's presence. Elijah had been taken up into the clouds bodily the end of his life. So Peter, James, and John, they, they recognize this. This is a divine theophany. God is manifesting himself in the Father's voice, in Jesus who is radiating, and the cloud which represents the Holy Spirit. Those words that the Father speaks are spoken also to us. This is my beloved Son. Listen to him. Like Peter, James, and John, we are called up onto a mountain to meet the Lord. Each and every Sunday when we come to the Mass, we come to the mountain of Calvary. We also come to the mountain of Transfiguration, the mountain of the Beatitudes, where we hear the Word of God. And we are called to worship, to be overcome by a holy fear, a holy trembling. St. Francis of Assisi said that man should tremble, that man should, in a certain sense, be filled with this holy awe when the priest calls down upon the altar the eternal Son of God, when he holds in his hands the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ. Even though we don't see Jesus' humanity, even though we don't see his divinity, nevertheless, the same God who is transfigured in his humanity is present here on this mountain. No, it's not a literal mountain 
or a physical mountain, but it is a spiritual mountain, a place of encounter with Christ. This is part of the reason why the sanctuary is elevated. It's not only for visual purposes, but it is also to symbolize that. When the priest goes up those steps, he is ascending to Mount Calvary. He is meant to mystically be hanging on the cross with Christ, to be offering his life with Christ. I remember when I was studying in Europe, going into a a small church in a little town, very small, it was a rectangular church, but the sanctuary was incredibly tall. It was about 15 steps up. You literally had to raise your, your head up to see it, and it brought home that fact to me of the mountain of Calvary which we come to. So when the priest holds up our Lord, whether it be in the chalice or whether it be in the host, we too are called to hear those words of the Father. This is my beloved Son. To adore the Lord just as Peter, James, and John did. Perhaps to even say quietly under our breath, my Lord and my God. We are called to linger on this holy mountain so that when we go back out into the world, we might bring Christ, having encountered him first. But to encounter him in a transformative way, we need to listen to him. Listen to him. But how can we listen to the Lord when there are so many competing voices? When there are so many things that are competing for our attention? We have to give Him space and time. And this is why it's so important that at the end of Mass we don't rush off, but that we take time to thank the Lord for His true body and blood which we have received. There is no more intimate experience in this life than Holy Communion. Let me repeat that. There is no more intimate experience in this life, this side of heaven, than communion. One saint even said, I would not give up that time of thanksgiving after receiving our Lord for heaven itself. Many of the saints spend half an hour to several hours giving thanks. It was common to see some of the saints on their knees for up to two hours giving thanks for the great gift of Holy Communion. Can we not at least give the Lord 10, 15 minutes while He remains within our bodies? In our second reading from St. Paul to the Romans, he reminds us that the judge is Christ Jesus Himself. That He will be our defense attorney and also our judge. Wouldn't it be a good idea to get to know the person who's going to judge you? Wouldn't it be a good idea to get to know better your defense attorney? And yet we can't get to know him in that way that truly transforms us, that transfigures us, unless we spend time with him, listening to him. It would be extremely rude to not spend time with the person who loves you most. And so what I say to you, I need to be reminded of 
reminded of as well. There is no better time spent than time before the Blessed Sacrament, than time thanking the Lord when He comes to us in Holy Communion. This is also why it's so important that we spend time preparing well for Mass. During this Lenten season, we should renew that resolution to not just rush off to Mass, but to be already preparing ourselves interiorly for this encounter with Christ. This begins remotely with making sure that we're getting our daily prayer, that we're taking time to go into the upper room, the mountain of our own bedroom, and kneel down, pray before an image of the crucified one. That we spend time during our week dropping into the church several times if we can to give thanks to the God who created us, who holds us in existence, and will one day call us to himself. Jesus remains a prisoner of love for us. He didn't have to do this. He didn't have to give us a way of being with us for our whole lives. And yet he does. He not only comes down on the altar, but he remains in this tabernacle for us. Let us not be so ungrateful as to fail to make time for him. For only the man and woman who makes time for Christ can be assured that Christ will make time for them in eternity.